this is Decoding Learning Differences with Kimberlyn Lavelle, and this episode is Readying Your Child for College with Kim Duckworth. Now, if your child is as young as mine, which is two and four, don't assume that this episode is not for you. If you are not on a particularly academic path or you don't think your child will go to college, still give this a listen. I think you'll still get some value out of it. Enjoy. Kim, thank you so much for being on the Decoding Learning Differences podcast. We are so happy to have you here today. Will you start by just introducing yourself and letting everyone know a little bit about you? Certainly. First of all, thank you, Kimberlyn, so much for having me on today. I really appreciate a chance to, to talk with you and your audiences. Um, my background, I'm a mother. I have three daughters, amazing daughters. Uh, I'm also an author. Uh, of a book called Parents Are You Ready? And it's a practical guide to help parents get their teens through, successfully get them through that high school experience. For about the past 15 years, I've been what's called a college admissions coach an independent educational consultant. And I am a member of the National Association of College Admissions Counseling. So basically I help students get into college, but also help them with scholarships and interviews, helped middle school students get into some private high schools. So just a, a, a lot of different areas that are covered in that college admissions coach title. Uh, for 12 years, my husband and I owned Scottsdale Education Center. And that's where a lot of the background from this book came from. It's a college preparatory center. It helps students uh, be the best that they can be in their high school journey, academic journey. So we had tutors, many, most of whom were teachers, high school teachers. Uh, we had uh, assistance with test preparation, not only uh, standardized testing, but just a variety of testing models. Uh, so it was really helping students successfully get through middle school and high school. Uh, prior to that, uh, mixed in with being a mom, I had worked for IBM for about 11 years in Silicon Valley. So I do have a business background as well. Um, and prior to that, I, was, uh, I went to Stanford University where I got my degree in communications journalism. So writing has always been very close to my heart. Um, live in Arizona um, and also spend part of our, our time in Colorado. Wonderful. It's a lot of experience in your life and so much that you can speak from. Um, so I wanted to just kind of jump into your area of expertise is getting kids into college. But a lot of our parents are parents of much younger kids that are in elementary school. And is there anything that parents can be doing at that really young age of kindergarten, first grade, second grade, or anywhere in that elementary age that parents should be thinking about and doing to prepare their child for college or to keep that in, um, to, to keep that as an option for their child going forward? Yeah, I think there are some things that can be done. And I'm sure you know the statistic, but about 90% of our, our brains are developed basically by the age of five. So it's a huge growth period for for, for kids, for, for children. And I think something uh, that's very important in that development is just doing stuff, D do stuff. Uh, don't uh, just get out there and exposing the child to a lot of different opportunities and ways to do things and think about things, but getting that not only just tactile, but getting out there and doing things that gets that brain really geared up and going 
is, I think is very important. I'm also a huge proponent of reading and getting your child to learn how to love to read. Um, if you love to, it's a life skill. If you love to read, uh, you will never be bored. For your entire life, you will never be bored. So I think reading, um, in fact, there was a Wall Street Journal article just this weekend all about reading and some of the things you can do to help your child become interested in reading. But it it's provides inspiration. It helps develop imagination. Uh, how many times have you gone to a movie and thought, oh, but the book was so much better? And that's because your brain does it better um, when it reads it. it. It has its own magical centers that, gets that get lit up in your brain. So inspiration, imagination, curiosity, um, certainly that's, I think if there would be one thing I could wish for those, eight, those young kids is just to be curious about the world around them. So curiosity, and then for later on, it helps with comprehension, it helps with the speed of reading, um, and all of it helps build critical thinking skills, um, which can help with uh, standardized test takings much, much later. I'll, I'll tell you, I talked with a lot of high school students and parents, and oftentimes in front of me, I would have their test results from an SAT, a diagnostic test or ACT test that they had done. And I knew the answer to this question before they gave it, but just by looking at their test scores, when I asked them, are you a reader? I knew what answer they were going to give me just because those test scores, those scores, they're cumulative of, uh, you know, from when you begin to read, it's a whole lifetime of reading that gets kind of put into that where you are today kind of score. So, and I had some students that with righteous indignation would say, no, I'm not a reader, that's not cool. You know, I'm gonna do the video version. Um, there's a lot to be said for actually doing the reading, not skimming, but actually reading. Kids are very good at skimming nowadays, but they have to do the reading. So although it's not a parent group or an audience that I normally have an opportunity to to talk with, um, it, it, there are things, especially in that um, reading area, that I think to learn that love of reading really young is important. I love that. Yeah, that is definitely something I'm always trying to foster in my kids, and they do. They obviously they're not reading themselves yet, but they love oh. to listen to reading. And well, actually, my four-year-old just started barely in <laughs> started reading a little bit this last week. Um, was very excited about that, but in well, general. They're just loving books all the time. And, and not just the, the fiction and creative and making a picture, but the, the informational stuff as well. And all that they can learn about that stuff. Um, like at their age, they love those Gail Gibbons books that are very informational, mm -hmm. but in a very, you know, lovely pictures and very just factual at a very, um, a very good level for their, their development that they can really understand exactly what it's about. They get a ton of information and they're so interested and they want to read it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And you get to a point too, I think as a parent, you, there are many books we memorize because we've read them so many times to the child. Yes. Um, the other thing I would say I think is important too, is to model reading for your children. If they see you reading, they're certainly going to be a lot more inclined to also read. Um, so that would be another thing. We actually had a, a book club within our family when the children got a little bit older and each each member of the family got to choose a book that they wanted us to focus on for two months um, to read and then discuss. 
And it was very interesting just to hear their perspectives um, and then to get parental perspectives on books that they wanted to read. So, but I think modeling is also important as a parent. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Modeling for anything that you're wanting your kids to learn is the best way for them to learn it. You know, if you want to teach the manners, modeling the manners. If you want to teach them to love learning, you need to be a learner. So exactly. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I love that book club idea. That's that's super fun. I'm going to definitely have to keep that in mind for our future. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we're really going to be in the early ages focusing on just doing a lot of stuff a lot of experiences encouraging that curiosity and interest in the world lots of reading um on our own modeling reading as well as to them with them encouraging them to just love reading absolutely as kids get a little bit older and now they're in middle school what kinds of things are parents really thinking about and looking at um to prepare their kids for college yeah Good question. I'm going to address uh, maybe academically first, if I if I could. Um, again, reading has got to be paramount in my mind is one of the first things. Know what your children are reading. Um, in the summertime, it's okay too to 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 read. It doesn't just have to stop during the school year. Uh, there a lot of uh, of your grammar learning comes in middle school. A lot of this, they, students are expected to know grammar by the time they get to high school. There's not a whole lot of grammar teaching going on. Uh, so I think being aware of the grammar uh, work that your child is doing in middle school is, is an important thing to know and pay attention to. Uh, vocabulary is another huge one for I think development in middle school. Um, if you're, and I would go this far, if your child is not coming home with uh, weekly vocabulary tests from the school, there's no reason why you as a parent can't be giving them weekly vocabulary tests as they're coming home from school. If, if they are reading out loud to you and come to a word they don't know, that goes on the list. I mean, it's, it's got to be, that development of vocabulary is very, very important. And I have something I'll talk about a little bit at the, at the end of this uh, about how you can see if your child is kind of on par with the rest of the world in terms of, of vocabulary. Another thing that's really important academically is pre-algebra. Um, pre-algebra is certainly the basis for algebra, algebra two, those standardized tests that they take to get into college, guess what? They have pre-algebra on them as well as algebra one and algebra two. As, and some of the tests have even a little more advanced concepts. But if you don't get pre-algebra, algebra is gonna be hard. And if you don't get algebra one, algebra two is gonna be really hard. So if your child is having any difficulty with those pre-algebra concepts, get them help right away. Get them help through a tutor, through um, a teacher, make sure they're getting help to get those concepts down. Um, and very honestly, a lot of those concepts from pre-algebra are the ones I use as an adult, percentages, averaging, things like basic geometry. That's what I find myself using just as, as life skills. I'm not an engineer, I'm not using calculus daily, but I do use pre-algebra daily. So it's just, I think, a very important starting place for math. It also starts your math sequence. So some students will complete pre-algebra as seventh graders, algebra one as eighth graders, and then go on from there. 
Some students don't start pre-algebra until they're in eighth grade year. It starts to stack though, what you can then do in high school and how far that math spectrum is going to get in those high school years. So just need to be aware. And also it can stack honors classes versus non-honors classes when you get into high school. Um, and I will tell you one of the key elements for college admissions is not only your grade point average, but your grade point average in rigorous classes. So that rigor, actually the, the beginning of that starts, it can start in middle school, truthfully. So I would say pre-algebra, grammar, vocabulary, pre-algebra are very important concepts to have mastered while you're in, in middle school. Um, a way to kind of, as a parent, to get a feel for whether or not is my child, they're getting A's, are they really on par with other school districts, other states? There's a test called the high school placement test that's given generally for admissions into parochial schools. But it tests basis fo basic vocabulary, reading, math, grammar. Um, I can't tell you how many times I sat across the desk from a parent who would get the results back for their child, 40% correct on a test. Uh, and they, we'd, we'd actually go through the, some of the questions. What, what question, what are they missing? What's, what's wrong? And in that very first vocabulary section, there would be words that I'd say, well, this, you know, the, here's the options. This child doesn't, doesn't know the meaning of this word. Parent would look at that child and say, you know what that word means, don't you? So they assumed, parents had made the assumption that the child was getting that kind of instruction when they weren't. Uh, root words, uh, Latin root words, suffixes, prefixes, if they're not getting that kind of instruction, they they're going to end up behind um, some of their peers. So the high school placement test, though, is a very interesting test just to be able to compare yourself to others. You can get the test if you go to any bookstore, they'll have, it's called the HSPT or the high school placement test books, and just give your child a test in the back and see how they do. Um, and like I said, many students or many parents are very surprised at the outcomes from those tests. So, and again, not that they're going to go to a parochial school, but just it gives you a, an idea of where they stand against other students. So those would be the, I think the key things to look at for academics in middle school, the things I've seen that end up helping or hurting students once they are in high school. Um, some of the non-academic, uh, academic things, I would say. One is music. Uh, we had a rule in our family that you, you had to play a musical instrument while you were in middle school. You had to, you had no choice. That was our house rule. Um, I had uh, my three daughters, um, they all picked different musical instruments. Uh, one of the three have, has gone on to really enjoy that in through their high school or through their adult life as well. Um, interestingly enough, music, it lights up the same side of the brain as math does. So oftentimes students that are really good in math are also musicians. So give them that opportunity to light up that side of their brain and get them involved with music. So that would, to me, um, be an important thing. And I've never spoken to a child that said to me, I hate my parents because they made me study music. Um, they, they under, they, there's something they take away from that music study to whatever level they decide to do it. Um, the other thing I would say for parents maybe is um, 
to find their students' passion, help start helping them develop what it is they love to do and start helping them think about what it would mean to become maybe world-class at that thing. Um, so really starting to get a little bit deeper into what it is that um, is their passion, what their passion is. And that will come also into play as they start applying to, to college. The problem in middle school um, for parents is that all the kids wanna be the same. They don't wanna be different. They don't wanna stand out. They want to be liked by everybody else and they want to be like everyone else. What they don't understand is it's not how they are the same, but it's how they're different that's going to really help them get into college, help them be a happy individual in the long term, um, and, and really help them understand who they are. So that's, I think, one of the hardest things we have to get through as middle school parents is helping them understand that it's how they're different is, that really has value. So that's part of that middle, middle school angst, I think, that we have to go through as parents. Um, the other thing I think is also important to start, maybe an, another thing would be just to start building what I call an action consequence profile. So meaning understanding if, if I do, if, if then, the if then statement, if I do this, then this can be the consequence. Some of those are societal rules, but you can also have family rules. So things like, um, I'll give another example. If you, I don't, I can't imagine a parent would ever hand a middle school student a bandsaw and say, go, go learn how to use it. Go, you, you go learn. When you give them certain parameters so that they don't hurt themselves in the process of using that bandsaw. Well, the same can be true for tools like phones. You can hurt not only yourself, but other people um, with improper phone usage. Um, you can, social media, it can have very bad consequences. So learning how to use those tools and maybe putting together some, if you do this or don't do this, then the consequence may be, or reward may be this. Um, but having them understand that action consequence profile, I think is something that can start, certain, certainly starts earlier than that, but really needs to start to be developed in, in that middle school timeframe. So uh, those, but those are some of the things that I would think about are important um, for uh, parents to work with their children on just to give them as many options as possible once they do get to that place of graduating from high school. Yeah, there is so much there. That was awesome. So much to think about um, and to prepare for. So thank you. Um, is, is high school a continuation of a lot of that stuff or is there specific things for high school that parents will want to note, note down and be ready for? Yeah, um, well, certainly action consequence profile. Now you've got cars involved. So um, again, there are societal rules with cars, but there can also be family rules with cars. Um, so I think that's just a continuation of, of certainly the, the very adult things that these students are now being asked to do while they still have brains that aren't completely done. Um, they actually say, it, you're, usually it's mid twenties before your whole really ability to completely understand that a consequence starts to, to really kick in. 
Um, so they, they just need help in understanding and getting there, I think. Um, continue with the passions, absolutely. Um, sometimes people ask, well, what's a passion? What does that mean? Um, and as an example, if, you're, if you loved Irish fling dancing, if you were a guy and you loved Irish fling dancing, it's a little unusual, it's an unusual love to have or passion to have, but that person would be studying Gaelic in their spare time. They would have a Celtic knot bumper sticker on their car. If they had to wear a kilt to class because they had a competition afterwards, they would. And if someone gave them a hard time in the, in the hallways because they were wearing a kilt, they'd put their books down and they'd, they'd teach them how to do the Highland fling. I mean, it's just, it's this megalomaniac obsession almost, um, but that's a passion. That's, that's what a passion is. And you can see it in kids. Um, and sometimes it's academic and sometimes it's sports and sometimes it's music and sometimes it's, it's something completely different, but you can see it, it just because of the amount of time they choose to spend with it. Um, the other thing I think when they're little, I say do stuff, but I think in high school, you've got to start to do hard stuff. Um, you can't be afraid to back, a, you can't back away from something just because it gets hard. Um, you have to know that you can try multiple times, which helps build resilience, which is also one of those characteristics that those directors of admissions are looking for as, as they admit children to, to, um, to college. Um, the other thing that I think starts to be important is just, um, I call it a high school bucket list but just a list of those things that you the, that student has delineated that they want to complete prior to graduating from high school. So um, it's a plan, basically, it's a plan. Um, and there's usually a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C, because we all know that sometimes plan A's don't work out. Um, so having those plan B's and plan C's can be, can be very, very important. But sit down, have talk to that, talk to your child and ask them, what is it that you want to accomplish by the time you graduate from high school? Um, and they, a lot of them do have ideas. And it can be silly things too. It can be, um, I want to see this, this animal in the wild. I want to have seen X number of waterfalls. I want just, but things that they want to feel, that they would feel accomplished having completed. Um, but that's, I think that's a, an important part of it too. And then just that idea, I think I mentioned earlier, just to become, don't be afraid to become world-class at something, become the best that you can be, do what you have to do to be the best that you can be at something. And as a parent, just encouraging as much as you can, encouraging um, that kind of development. Um, I would also say for parents in high school, and I mentioned this earlier too, but start paying attention to their academics. Um, know, again, know what's going on in the classroom. Um, I remember talking with a student and a parent once, the parent was mortified to find out that their junior in high school was having books read to them in class, not being assigned for them to read independently. Um, the student wasn't reading. Junior of high school, they, they really weren't reading. They were having books read to them in the classroom. So you do have to know what's going on in your, in your child's classroom, what, and what, books are being, what books are being read as an example. Um, and also just note in your own mind that level of difficulty of that book. Um, because some uh, advanced reading lists will have some, um, Frankenstein is one that a lot of kids really love uh, by Shelley. They love to read Frankenstein. 
Um, but some students never get to that level of sophistication and multi-leveled um, reading. So just knowing what is going on in, in the classroom is important as a, I think a parent, even in, even in high school. Uh, so those, those would just be some of the things I think that maybe change a little bit uh, once they get into high school. Excellent, thank you so much. Um, now I wanted to also ask you specifically about kids with learning disabilities. Um, the majority of the parents listening to this podcast have kids with some kind of learning difficulty, learning challenges, um, things like ADHD and dyslexia. So how might that impact their path to college? Um, yeah, and how, how might their path be different? Well, that's a great question. And I've had an opportunity to work, we worked with a lot of students in the center that had ADHD. Uh, and most of, most of the students that we worked at were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. A lot of times may have been struggling in school, but they were brilliant. And I think one thing as a parent, if you start thinking ADHD can be a superpower, yeah. I mean, that can be their superpower um, if it's controlled. And I, I think a little bit there was um, X-Men, um, one of uh, Scott Summers, I think was the character's name. He was Cyclops. He had the laser vision, um, but he, he was a mess if he didn't have his glasses on. He was a mess. He was destroying everything. It was harmful to himself. He was a mess. But once he had those glasses on and could contain and manage his superpower, um, he, was, uh, he was a marvel. He was a, a marvel. So I think, first of all, rethinking ADHD and then getting whatever it is that they need to have to, to if they need help with executive functioning, um, get them help. Um, if they need help with uh, maybe a different study program or some study program studying, help then because people with ADHD study a little bit differently than others. The way you may have studied as a parent will not be perhaps the way they're going to study best. So you just have to be open to that as a parent and understand that that's, that's their wiring. That's their unique wiring. They may need to get up every 20 minutes and walk around. They may need to be throwing a basketball while they're memorizing things. Um, but just be open to it being different than what they had done. Um, the biggest problem I see students with ADHD get into in high school is the planner and not having one or having one and not using one. Um, so I think that would be something if I had a child and I do have close family members who do have ADHD, but as I, I think just looking every once in a while at that planner, making sure if you notice that all of a sudden a student's not turning in assignments, eh, we want to get into the middle of that just a little bit with them and understand why did they not study for that test? Did they not have it written down? Did they not start five days earlier to study for that test? You know, what, if you see the grades starting to go down, definitely want to get in the middle of that and kind of understand, understand why. But those planners, I think for ADHD students are important, can be important things for them to have. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, for any kind of learning uh, dis I, difficulty, um, or difference maybe, um, there are ways to get accommodations. And I know you know this, but to get accommodations for that child in school, if they need it, get it for them. 
if, if it's something they, an accommodation that they need, make sure they're getting it. Um, sometimes schools will push back on that a little bit. It's a resource that they may not want to give because it costs money. Um, but that's where you've got to put on the tiger mom face or tiger dad face a little bit and say, no, this, my child needs help. This, this is what we need to discuss. So, and, and those accommodations can also go forward into testing, SAT, college board tests, AP tests, ACT tests. Um, if those accommodations have been put in place, it is something that they can then bring forward into testing environments because it's something they might need in, in high school. So uh, I would think that would be the other thing is uh, just to, to not be afraid of those accommodate, getting those accommodation, accommodations if they're warranted. A question that just popped into my head when you were talking was I've heard that the SATs and all of that is not looked at as much anymore and some colleges don't look at it at all. Is that is are those scores still important or, or that's less? a great, great question. There are kind of three categories for testing and how the colleges look at them. One is called test blind. University of California system and uh, California state is now it's called test blind, which means they will not look at a test score if you give it to them. They don't will not look at it. Um, the other category is called test optional, which says uh, if, if you provide us with a score, we will take it into consideration, but it's not required. And the third category is just, you have to take the test. There's no, they don't give you any options. Um, certainly during COVID, we saw a lot of schools going towards uh, the test optional or test blind uh, model. Things are changing. Um, more schools are going back to the certainly test optional place. Um, if you're a good tester, it can be a wonderful exclamation point on your abilities. Um, the thing though that they don't tell you is that many scholarships still require um, test scores. So admissions to college is one thing, but scholarships are a something else. So um, that, that's something to, to consider. And some will even give class credit or placement for certain test scores. So it can save you money if your child does test at a certain level. So the other statistic I'll throw out is that in highly selective colleges, meaning colleges where their acceptance rates are under 20%, um, many of them these past years have been test optional, but 80% of the students that were admitted, approximately 80% provided test scores. Okay. So that tells you it is optional, but to give yourself uh, uh, maybe the best chance or putting your best foot forward, it might be a good idea to include a test score. So it really depends, I think, on um, what we see in the future too. Um, again, the, the testing was, they got rid of that because it was difficult for children to test because of the COVID situation. That appears to be changing. So I think we will see, I wish I had a crystal ball. I, I think we'll see changes in the future. Um, but right now it's starting, the pendulum is starting to swing a little bit more towards that test optional place. Okay, good to know. And it was good to know about the scholarships. That wasn't something I had thought about. Mm -hmm. um, um, the other thing you mentioned was dyslexia. Right. Um, and I did have an opportunity to, we, we in the center worked with students that were dyslexic. Um, I will say this, first of all, they were the hardest working students we had amazing, amazingly hard workers, um, which is a characteristic that will serve them well um, in the future and getting into college and getting a job and, and beyond. 
Um, I've worked with, there's one young man that just comes to mind. We worked with him from high school all the way through college admissions. Um, and he was, he used gels on the, on his pages in the beginning. This was many years ago now, but that was uh, one of the, the tools he was given to help with dyslexia. Um, he actually just got accepted to West Point. So, um, and did phenomenally on his, um, he took an ACT, his AT, ACT tests. So uh, I think with dyslexia too, it's just get that diagnosis, get those accommodations. If they need extra time, get the extra time. And again, just put on that tiger mask if need be to make sure that they get, um, get those things. Again, very bright, often very, very bright students. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, they have a hard time, um, certainly with the time constraints and sometimes just, uh, just really showing um, that brilliance. Yeah, right. Um, well, and a lot of them, <laughs> excuse me, I found can have a lot of anxiety around, around testing and things like that because they've had so much difficulty, but um, the more help they're getting, the more they're practicing it, then that anxiety can go down from that kind of stuff. So absolutely. Great, great suggestions. Um, do you ever advise against college or do you think that all kids should plan on going to college? Well, an interesting statistic maybe to start off is that of, in the United States, only 38% of people above the age of 22 have a four-year college degree. Hmm. So um, the, in the past 10 years, that number has gone up from about 30% to about 38%. So I, it's certainly, uh, going up very, very quickly. But to answer that question, some kids aren't ready. They're, they're just not ready for college level work yet. They haven't got those study skill habits down quite yet. They don't know how to do independent thinking or independent learning yet. Um, here's another scary statistic. Um, only about 33% of students who go to a public university will graduate in four years. And that number only goes up to about 54% in six years. So there are, what that tells me is there are students that just, and certainly there are financial reasons and health reasons why some of those students may not graduate, but a lot of them just aren't ready. Um, they just aren't ready yet. So no, not everyone um, needs to be or should be, I don't think, college bound. We have a, but what I do think and I do advise is that you do get some kind of post high school education. Um, so that could be, um, it could be a community college. It could be technical training. Uh, it could be the military. Uh, it could be um, some kind of medical specialty training, whether that be a CNA or an EMT or a vet assistant or a medical technician or but those, those, those kinds of careers. They do require additional training. It's just not necessarily four years of college. Um, a public service policemen, firemen, um, certainly at the entry level, in an entry level place, um, don't have to have in many states a college degree. So um, those would be things to think about. The other thing I think that's maybe important to do or to know too, is there are what they call, um, it's uh, college ready standards. If you take uh, one of those standardized SAT, ACT tests, um, that's, that gives you an indication as to whether or not that child is ready for college. Do they have the foundation or the baseline? For an ACT test, um, which most students take uh, late or during the spring of their junior year, beginning of their senior year, 
Um, if you're scoring at around a level of 20, maybe up to 22, that says this student has that foundation and is college, potentially college ready. If you have a student who's not scoring at that level, um, that should be a little bit of a red flag to a parent that maybe they just don't have, they're not ready. They don't, they don't have that foundation yet for a four-year university. Um, the other on an SAT test, which is a college board test, that number is a, a, about a 1050 out of a perfect score of 1600. That 20 to 22 for an ACT is out of a perfect score of 36. So it just gives you an idea. Those are at about the 50% point. 50% um, of students will sky score higher than that, 50% will score lower. But as a parent, it would give you some indication as to whether or not that child is ready. And college directors of admissions, the thing they're looking at is that G, first thing, not only thing, first thing they're gonna look at though is your grade point average in rigorous classes. It's the best educator for them as to how that student is going to do in rigorous classes in college. And it's a three year plus three to three and a half year look at them as a student. They won't usually see their second semester senior year grades before they've made an admissions decision. So certainly three, maybe th maybe three and a half year idea of how they've done as a student in the past. It's an indicator for them. It, it tells them kind of how that gives them an indication of how they're gonna do in college. So, um, but like I said, not all students are college ready. No, I do not recommend that all students go to college. Perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. There's um, uh, a lot of other options and paths and excellent. So it's good, it's good to hear your perspective on all of that. Thank you so much for all of your wisdom. There's been so much to keep in mind and think about and start putting into action for everyone listening. Um, so how can people uh, find out more about you? Oh, great. Um, I'm, you can just send, if you're interested with on information that I can answer for you, uh, Kim at parentsareyouready.com. Um, that would be the easiest way to get a hold of me. Um, I also have, um, you know, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can find me there, Kim Duckworth. So, um, and again, just uh, parentsareyouready.com. It's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, and it's a, a good guide, a practical guide with specific things to do uh, to help your child get through college or get into college. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much, Kim. It was really great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, so again, thank you so much for having me on. Um, it, it's been great.